1: feel pretty honored tonight to introduce our speaker. Um, now, probably many of you may not remember this, um, but I do. It was a long time ago. Uh, it was probably, Brookie, I think it was the first time I ever met your papa. And he came to church when he first int- uh, spoke of what he thought about when he first met Pastor Staten out in New Mexico. And he referred to him as a quality young man. And for some reason, though that introduction always stuck out with me from Brother Dunn. And tonight, I introduce to you a quality young man, and that is Brother Shaq Jones. He is a great young man. And I promise you that you're going to be encouraged and ministered by the word tonight. So please, get behind him like you would anybody else. Amen? Amen. Oh, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. Oh my God. I got to dismiss the move, right? The move? The kids move? My wife was like, Sorry, guys. So all the kids are dismissed to move, and I think the youth, right? Well, they're not here, so they're staying here. All right. All right, Shay? Well, praise the Lord, everybody.
0: It's good to be in the house of the God on a Wednesday night. And as I get my notes together, I just want to give honor to our pastor. Um, It's always an honor to stand behind the pulpit and teach where he teaches. So I give honor to him tonight, and I also give honor to God tonight because without him, I wouldn't be here at all. So I give honor to him. And tonight we'll be continuing the Cornerstone series. I, I haven't been in here for this series. I've been in the move, but I've watched the videos. It's such a great series. And tonight we're continuing with encouragement. And encouragement is something very important. We gotta encourage each other. And y'all can be seated. I got a lot of scripture tonight, so I don't want y'all standing for all of it. But encouragement, is important. And being encouraged and encouraging others, it it should make you feel good. You should feel good to encourage others and things like that. And God felt that encouragement was so important, he even made it a commandment. And we can find this in John 13, 34 through 35, and it's on the screen. But the Bible says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And I'm gonna stop there for a second. Because this is important. You know, we know the commandments. God gave commandments in the Old Testament that everyone must follow and everyone must adhere to. And it's a non-negotiable. And so when God says, I give you a new commandment, it's important. God wants you to understand something. God wants you to know something. And so he says that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. So it's pretty, pretty simple there. You have to love other people or else you can't be of God. You got to love other people or else, you know, you can't be recognized as Jesus. So in this verse, we could try and make excuses and say that, God, they did this. They did that to me. God, they hurt me. God, they beat me up or whatever. We can make up any excuse in the world, but God covered all those excuses because God does not have conditional love. God loves us all unconditionally. He loves us all the same. He does not care what you've done. And Jesus was charging us with this verse. He was charging us to encourage one another. Jesus didn't describe it as being a choice, you know. You can choose to love your neighbor. You can choose to love the person next to you. You can choose to encourage each other. He didn't say it was a choice. He said, this is a new commandment, something that you must follow. If you want to see heaven you have to follow. You have to encourage each other. That's right. And I know I'm talking about encouragement tonight, but I have to open up with something terrible. I'm sorry. It's, it's discouragement. And you got to feel a little bit discouraged before you feel encouraged. So we're going to talk about that tonight. And if you're taking notes tonight, the first point is life is full of trouble. You know, we, we deal with things. We battle things. And um, someone who battled the most in the scripture, you could argue, is Job. We all know the story of Job, he lost almost everything. But there's a verse in Job chapter 14, it's verse number one, and humanity is described as being short living, and then it says full of trouble. So not only are you gonna live a short time, but the short time you live on this earth is just gonna be full of trouble and chaos. And I thought, I'm discouraged, I read in that verse, because it's not only are you not gonna live a long life, but your short life is going to be terrible. You know, that's, that's what God's saying. He's, you know, he's using Job to say that, you know, if you're born of a woman, and I'm going to read that verse, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And that is Job 14, 1. And I read that, and I was like, wow, my life is going to pass me by, and it's going to pass quickly and painfully. And that's, that's not, I was like, that's not okay, But no matter how righteous you are and no matter how perfect you think you are, no matter who you think you are, everyone will deal with trouble. And everyone will deal with discouragement. It will affect all of us. And even the children of God experience trouble because you can look at those verses and you say, it says, a man that is born of a woman will, life will be short of days and deal with a lot of trouble. You could be like, oh, it means sinful man or oh it means someone who's not sanctified someone who's not holy someone who's not anointed but I have a verse for that so Matthew 5:45 says that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh the son his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust so Jesus was saying here that that there is no way to escape trouble that even us we saints of God can't escape it. We, we, can't, we can't get past it. That it's, a, it's a rite of passage through life that you have to deal with trouble. And not only that, you know, that he says, I'm, I'm impartial. I have no bias. And if it's going to rain over here, it's going to rain over there. And if, if y'all over here are dealing with trouble, y'all over here are going to deal with trouble at some point. And we can't go a day without dealing with some sort of discouragement in our lives. You know, it's something we just have to live with. And not only that, but John 16, verse number 33, solidifies this statement. And a lot of you can quote it, but it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome Amen. the world. Yeah. Amen. And so I took that verse, and I kind of took a good verse to kind of, you know, support a verse about trouble. And that verse said that, you will have tribulation. That's a sure thing. That if you live life, you're going to go through things. And that, you know, he didn't put a maybe in there. There was no maybe. God wasn't like, maybe you'll deal with trouble. Maybe if you're good, you won't. No, God said you're going to. It's something that must happen. So, And I know I've said a trouble a lot, but I want you to liken it to discouragement. Because trouble brings discouragement. And John 15, 18 Through 19 says, if the world hate you, ye know it hated me before it hated you. So even our God, Jesus Christ, was not exempt from being hated. He was not exempt from trouble, as we know. He was tried for being a good man, a righteous man, and he's more righteous than we are. And so if a righteous man like Job and Jesus, if they went through things, we're going to go through things too. And I'm going to continue reading that verse, and it says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, there there the world hateth you. So not only is trouble a sure thing, but if you call yourself a child of Christ, if you're aligned with his word, if you're anointed, if you have a call, if you have some sort of position, it doesn't matter if it's an actual position or you're just positioned in life, that not only will you deal with trouble, but this this verse actually proves that you're going to deal with trouble more trouble. Why? Because if you're in the world, you deal with trouble, but the world likes its own. But if you're of Christ, not only are you going to deal with trouble, but you're also going to be hated of the world. So that's a double dose of trouble. So even more problems in this situation, even more, you know, dire circumstances, and it just doesn't get better. And that's life. It just, it it gets worse. (laughs) I'm sorry. It it just gets worse. Examples of some people that, you know, they dealt with trouble and they battled things. Um, This is a person that, you know, people always use to preach about and to teach about because this person, he was a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah dealt with some things. He dealt with depression. He dealt with thoughts that I'm not going to repeat, but he dealt with some dark thoughts. But he was discouraged. He found himself in fear, as we will read. He was also depressed. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 3, and I'm reading to verse number 10, so it's going to be a little while. But it says, then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So just from that first verse, he's running away because he fears that he's going to be killed. And uh, it'll elaborate itself more when I get down a little bit. But it'll explain why he's running. And so it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. And that's, that's a dark thought to have, asking God that he would die. That's, that's terrible. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, there was at his head a cake baked on a hot stones and a jar of water. Again, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, "Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you." And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, to the Mount of God. And then, verse number nine, then. I mean, there came, he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah was the only prophet left. He was the only person left to stand for righteousness, the only person left to stand for anything, and he was standing against the prophets of Baal. He was standing against the children of Israel because they backslid, which they do a lot, um, but they backslid and were worshiping idols. And so they decided that Elijah wasn't worshiping the idols they're worshiping, but he's still worshiping God. So they said, let's just get rid of God and Elijah. So he's like, we're going to get rid of them both. So, Elijah was depressed. As we can tell, Elijah was saying, God, kill me, please. He was begging God to kill him. And I I thought to myself, you know, how is a prophet going to have these thoughts? You're supposed to be closer to God than I am, and you're dealing with some of the stuff I'm dealing with. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, not only that, but he wakes up and he has food next to him. And that's never happened to me before. And I think if that happened to me, I would be fine. But he wakes up, and there's food next to him, and he's like, I'm still depressed. Wakes up again, there's food next to him, he's still depressed. And if that happened twice, oh, I'd be really good then. Because, God's, I, because I mean, God's taking care of him. He's being taken care of. God is not far from him. Matter of fact, God's even speaking directly to him, and he's still dealing with these things. Like, if God spoke directly to me... I would be fine. I would be fine. But he's a prophet. He speaks to God all the time, and he's dealing with these thoughts. And this just shows that no matter who you are, no matter what status you hold, no matter how close to God you are, you will deal with some things, and they will defeat you. He dealt with depression. He dealt with fear. He thought about, you know, God taking his life. That's dark thoughts, and a prophet shouldn't deal with those things. Or so we think, but he is not exempt from dealing with things because he's human just like us. So in my mind, Elijah was, there's nothing he had to fear. You know, God was with him. God proved to be with him. God was talking to him, and I just can't wrap my mind around it. But the only thing I can say is Elijah was human. You know, we're all human. We all deal with things. And another example of a great person in the Bible who experienced discouragement was Job. And before I even talk about all of Job's stuff that went on in his life, the Bible describes Job as being perfect. In Job 1.1, it says, well, I don't have the actual verse in here, but it says that Job was perfect. That's what it opens up and says. It says Job was perfect. And I thought to myself, a perfect person dealing with stuff. How is this going to end up? And we see in Job 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, that Job has something to say. And so Job says, well, it says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. So Job's dealing with the same things that Elijah's dealing with. Job's saying, God, I wish you would have killed me at birth. And he's just, he's just being honest. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born. In the night, that said, a man is conceived, let the day be darkness. And in, in my, in my um, verse that I took out of the KJV, it has exclamation points. So he's screaming these things. You know, he's yelling these, he's angry. And he says, may God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let, the th- let, the thick, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. So he's saying, I don't want to exist. He said, my birthday, I don't want it to exist. He said, God, I wish you would have just never let me exist. And this is a man that the Bible said was perfect. This is a man that the Bible said, you know, he was perfect in God's eyes. And someone perfect in God's eyes was dealing with stuff. So this shows you that you know no one is exempt as long as you're a human. You know, you could be a prophet like Elijah, you could be perfect like Job, but it does not matter what happens in your life. And and I know we deal with a lot of things, you know, we, we deal with a lot of things that have us acting like Job. And it doesn't take as much. You know, Job, Job lost his kids, he lost, you know, his health, he lost all his riches. I mean, he had $35 million worth of stuff. And if I lost that in that day, whew, that'd be rough. But Job lost all this stuff, and it took all this stuff to get him to that point. But things happen in our life, like cars break down or we lose our job and you know, we get sick, cold, flu, COVID, whatever, and we feel like we're gonna die. And you know, we, sometimes we have those thoughts, and it took us that little for us to have those thoughts. You know, that, But we're all human. And I'm not going to say it's okay to be discouraged, but we all get discouraged. You know, it's, it shouldn't be normalized to be discouraged, but we all get discouraged because we're, we're imperfect. And the Bible says, you know, we're going to deal with things our whole life, you know, that those things aren't going to change. So, so I'm not going to say it's, it should be normalized, but you shouldn't feel so deep down in your discouragement, you know. You should feel encouraged because God has you. As we read earlier, you know, God overcame the world for you. And so... Uh, if you're taking notes, this is why encouragement is important or what is the blessing of encouragement. I'm not going to be talking about discouragement anymore, I promise. But being encouraged keeps our hearts from being hardened. And Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So I'm kind of going to unpack that verse right there. And the word exhort in that verse means to encourage. So let's read it again, but this time I'm going to put encourage in there. But encourage one another daily. While it is called today. So not tomorrow, not the next day, but today encourage somebody. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So. It's kind of a lot in there, but the short answer is you need to encourage one another to prevent one another from sinning, you know, because when you're discouraged, your heart begins to harden, and that makes it easier for you to sin because you're desensitized. You know, you feel as though that, oh, I'm discouraged. I can do whatever I want. I can only go down from here. I'm not going up. God doesn't have me. Those are thoughts we think about, and so it's easier to sin when we are discouraged. So, if you encourage somebody, if you tell them you're okay, you're gonna make it through this, God has your back, you know, that promotes them to go beyond, you know, to move above where they feel, you know, move above where they're at, and moves them to not sin, you know, not to do bad things, you know, because in answer to depression, they'd be like, oh, I need to do drugs again. But if you encourage somebody, oh, it's gonna be okay, they're gonna be like, I don't need to do drugs anymore. I can just pray about it. You know, you just move that person to being encouraged. And so encouragement promotes love in good works. And this is, this is a good one. I, I like this one right here. This verse, it says, well, it's Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and it says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love into good works. So I'm just going to stop right there for a second. So the first thing it says is that let us, means all of us, let us consider one another. So first got to think about each other not think about yourself, and secondly, you have to provoke one another, and I don't mean like punch somebody in the face and provoke them to hit you back, don't do that, but provoke them to do good things, you know, you can provoke people to do good things, the world provokes people to do bad things, but we should provoke people to do good things, you know, so, but not only did it say good works, it said love too, so we got to provoke people to love because some people won't love by themselves because they don't know how to love, but you know, we have to provoke them to love. We got to show them love and that's the way you provoke them is by showing them. So then it says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. So you got to be together. You got to be with each other. And then it says as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching and the day, which they mean is, you know, Christ coming back, the end times. But what it says right there is, you know, exhorting one another. But I like how it says, and so much the more. That don't just, I mean, you you can do it, and that's fine, but it says do it a little bit more, you know. Each time let it grow a little bit more because we want this place, we want this world to be overflowing with encouragement, you know, because life is hard. It really is. So we should continue to do it more and more. You shouldn't stop encouraging people. You should constantly be growing in encouragement. So, and, and, you know, a way we can be an encourager is with our words. You can encourage people with words. You can tell them they look nice. You can tell them, you know, they smell nice. You can tell them, I'm running out of things to say, but you can tell them things to encourage them. You know, keep going, you got it, push on, stuff like that. So Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so our words have power. The Bible says our words have power in Proverbs 18.21 it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So our words have the power to encourage someone to life and the power to encourage someone to death. And that is literally and metaphorically. You know, Your words can literally take someone off that ledge or can promote them to go forward. So your words have the power of life and death. And you can't be self-absorbed. If you want to encourage somebody, you can't think about yourself. You can't be narcissistic and be an encourager. You, you just can't do it because... To be an encourager, you have to love other people. You have to yeah. care about other people. And Philippians 2.4 says, look not every man on his own tongue, but every man also on the things of others. So we have to care about other people. We have to love other people. We have to think about other people. And we have to bear one another's burdens. And you can't love somebody and say, well, I don't want to hear about your mess. I don't want to hear about your problems. I don't want to hear about your situation. You know, you're making me feel bad. And I work at a grocery store, and I hear a lot of mess that people (laughs) tell me because they think I'm a counselor. (laughs) I should be licensed by now, but they'll tell me. This lady one time told me that it was her son and daughter died in the same week. And I was like, wow. A 17-year-old shouldn't be hearing that working at a grocery store. But she thought to tell me, and I didn't, I didn't know what to say in that moment, but she needed encouragement. I don't know if any encouragement I could have told her could have helped a little bit because I don't know how to relate to that. I don't know what to say to that, but but we still have to encourage one another and bearing other people's burdens. And I, I cared for her, so I said, you know, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but I know it'll get better, and I don't know if that helped because she left. But... You know, I, I, you, we have to care about people. We have to bear one another's burdens. And it says in Galatians 6.2 that bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So so bearing one another's burdens is the law of Christ. And Christ has a lot of laws. Yeah. But I only talked about two tonight, and that's loving other people and bearing their burdens. Yeah. So if you just take that away, you'll be okay. And so Barnabas, a person that you don't really hear about, um, he's a New Testament person, he was a, he was a disciple, he was, he was around the disciples, he did evangelism, you know, he was ministering to people, and you don't really hear much about him, but he's actually a great encourager, like he encouraged a lot of people in the Bible, but Acts 4.36 says, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, so, so the apostles gave him a new name. They said, you know, your name's going to be Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. So the disciples said, Barnabas, you're so good at encouraging people, your name's going to be the encourager." And I was like, that's pretty cool. So not only that, but he's a Levite um, and of the country of Cyprus. So it was through Barnabas, the son of encouragement, that the church accepted the apostle Paul. So it was, it was, it was Barnabas that kind of got Paul into the church. So, and we can read that in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, and that says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him. And now he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so, if Barnabas wasn't a person, an encourager, if, he, if Barnabas was a person who lied all this time, they would have been like, you're lying, you're trying to get us all killed. You know, but he was an encourager, so he had rapport with the people. And not only that, he was the one, you know, I I guarantee you he encouraged Paul, because I bet Paul was scared. He's like, I killed these people, and now I got to go talk to these people and try to join these people. I don't know, Paul might have got killed if it was somebody else. Nowadays, he would have got killed. But, you know, it's, it's, it was dangerous for Paul to be in that situation. It was dangerous for him to put himself in that situation. But I bet Barnabas was like, you got it, Paul. I'm right there with you. I got you, Paul. They're going to love you. And Paul's looking like him like, you're crazy. They ain't going to love me. But we can help others find their place in the body of Christ. You know, that's what Barnabas was doing. He was helping Paul find his place in the body of Christ. You know, he was taking a murderer of thousands upon thousands of, you know, innocent Christians. And, and he was the one who kind of put him under, under, you know, his belt. I mean, under his wing, not his belt. <laughs> but under his wing, you know, and kind of brought him, into, brought him into, you know, discipleship. And then we see that Paul, you know, went all around Asia. He went around all these places, and he preached the gospel. And, he, and so many churches were started because of him. But really, you can look back and say it was tied to Barnabas being, you know, encourager. So it was Barnabas that also restored Mark after he had failed greatly. And that's in, chapter, in Acts chapter 13 and also in Acts chapter 19. So we all need encouragement, and, and we should all be encouragers. It's important. You know. We all need to do these things because not only does God tell us to, but you should feel good doing it. It should make you feel better. So we have to seek to find the positive to speak on. There's so much negative in this world that we can speak on, so much negative in this world, you know, we can make comments about, but we have to choose to speak on the positive, and we have to provoke one another to good works. Kick that person in the butt, not literally, but kick them in the butt, get them to do something positive, get them to do something else than what they're doing. You know, staying home and being sad and depressed, that's not going to do it. But them doing something good for the kingdom of God, that's going to get them out of that rut that they're in, out of that hole. And finally, seek to restore those who have failed. You know, a lot of people in this world have failed, they have messed up, they made mistakes, you know, and, and those mistakes, they can weigh on you, they can cause you not to want to, wanna, you know, move forward in Christ because all you see is who you used to be, so you can't move forward, you're always looking back and not looking forward, but seek to restore those who have failed, because God can speak into their lives and God can move in a mighty way, but if they don't have people around them saying, you know, that, that you're going to be something, you're going to do something great and that you're going to be used mightily in the kingdom of God, then You know, they're going to struggle because it takes a crowd, you know, to promote, you know, growth within somebody. And so in closing tonight, I ask, would you stand? We're going to pray really quickly. But I hope you take tonight that, you know, being encouragers, it's important. And God knows it's important. That's why he made it a commandment. And tonight, I hope you go out and you start encouraging people if you haven't already. And if if you already have, just do it a little bit more, like I said but let's pray in Jesus' name, Lord. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing us, Lord Jesus, Lord, to have the revelation of being encouragers, Lord Jesus, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would let the fresh fall fire fall, Lord Jesus, upon each and every one of these individuals, Lord, that they may care for people, Lord, that they may love for people like they never had before, Lord Jesus, that your goodness and your mercy would flow through them, Lord Jesus, Lord, that they would be the light, Lord Jesus, in this dying world, Lord, that they would speak the positive, Lord Jesus, Lord, that they would, Lord, be used by you, Jesus, Lord, that they would provoke one another to good works, Lord Jesus, that your Will might be done through them in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: Amen. Let's give him a hand. Amen. Amen. So I hope you guys are paying attention. There's a lot of powerful words in the simplicity of a message sometimes. And what Brother Shaq preached is actually quite countercultural, right? What he preached was about more of giving of ourselves rather than taking. I like some of the points that he made. That he said, encouragement keeps your heart from being hardened. If you notice in the example that he used of Elijah, you know, nothing that was good given to him was good enough for him in that moment. He was so discouraged. He was so caught up in his own feelings that, you ever met somebody that way, that they're so discouraged that, and they're so depressed and they're so into their feelings that there is no good and there is no bad response? You know, I've had folks in my life that have done that to me. It's like, hey, leave me alone. Okay, I'll leave you alone. Why are you leaving me alone? You told me to leave you alone. <laughs> it's like there is, no, <laughs> there is no right or wrong response sometimes with them. So being encouraged, right, keeps our hearts from being hardened. He said, provoke love and good works. I think sometimes we, we misinterpret what a good friendship is, right? A good friendship isn't just somebody who's always going to pacify us, who's always going to sympathize with us and tell us everything's all right. Some of my best friends are the ones that tell me, hey, man, you kind of got to shape yourself up a little bit. You might want to fix some things here and there. Loves other people and bear their burdens. It's allowing people not to have to fight alone. doesn't mean that you do everything for them, but it means that you go alongside them and you help them out. And seeks to restore those who have failed. This one here really got to me. I really I really enjoyed that point. I've been fortunate to have a, a great, great supervisor in my life. And he is one of the biggest servant leaders uh, that I've ever met. I tell you, if, if, if this man ever gets saved, if Randy Bridgman ever gets saved, he would just be an amazing soul winner. He's just a, an incredible servant leader. I've seen him, Sister Bridget, in meetings where... They want to let somebody go because they're not doing their job right. And he's the first one to say, well, wait a minute. This behavior that they're doing is not right, but it's, it's not quite like them. Why don't we take a moment and investigate what's going on in their lives to see, you know, how we can help them. And he has literally restored people at work and literally given them opportunities to better themselves. And he's one of the best guys I've ever met, perfectly honest. And the reason why it's countercultural is because this is really the expectation that is supposed to be in the body of Christ. I don't know if you guys caught this, but in John 15, 19, when Shaq read that scripture, it says, the world loved its own. Think about that. The world loved its own. And it would be a shame if there's more unity amongst, for lack of a better term, the heathen. If there's more unity amongst the the secular society than there is even in the body of Christ. So... I don't think it's coincidence that we are significantly early today. I encourage you guys tonight. I know the first reaction might be, well, it's quarter to eight. I'm going to leave early. I'm going to get my kids. Why don't we spend some time tonight? Why don't we take this opportunity that God has given us and spend some time building relationships and building fellowship with one another so we can be the body of Christ that God has called us to be. Amen. Amen, Brother Shaq. Good word tonight. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads in dismiss. missile. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you today. God, we thank you for the encouragement of your word. We thank you that your word is able to encourage us, correct us, chastise us, and rebuke us, Lord, and give us direction, Heavenly Father. God, as we fellowship tonight and eventually go our separate ways, we ask you to bless every friendship in this church. We ask you to bless every relationship, God, and let those friendships grow. Let them multiply, God, to the point where we can literally bear each other's burdens, God, and sharpen one another, Heavenly Jesus. And we thank you today for the work you're going to do in the body, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. You are dismissed.
0: Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going on your
1: cheeks. I'm